Hello everybody and welcome to the Kane and Rinse podcast, volume 5, issue 231. You can play along with us. Our podcast has games and these are some games that we are going to cover in the next few that you can play along with and join in with the discussion without fear of spoilers or any other form of reprisal. Next up we have 80 Days. Following that we have the Rock Band series. Time to dig out those instruments. After that it's Telltale's The Wolf Among Us. Then we return to the Zelda oeuvre with the Four Swords and Four Swords Adventures. Um, I don't know. I don't know what we call it. Duo? No, I don't know. Sequence? Anyway, we'll work that out. And after that, uh, in the wake of uh, Kickoff Revival from Dino Dini, uh, we're going all the way back to the very late 80s, very early 90s with Kickoff Player Manager and Kickoff 2 uh, in honour of the start of the new uh, English, British, UK and European domestic football seasons. Head to canerince.com for features and articles, the very occasional review, uh, other bits and bobs on the blog, but also links to our very friendly and busy forum, our very friendly and busy Facebook page, and our very friendly but not so busy YouTube channel. If you enjoy all that we do, all that we produce for you, you can support us in a number of ways. If you like to get something in return for any money you care to put our way, you can buy something from our shop, spreadshirt.co.uk slash rinse. We have excellent t-shirts and excellent bags with our spiffing, simple but classy logo on. We also have a Patreon. Uh, we don't hide any content or anything like that uh, based on what people donate. Everything is still free to everyone. It exists simply as a virtual online donation box or tip jar at patreon.com slash rinse. Thank you to all of you who have pledged already and are donating. It's absolutely wonderful. Helps keep us going. And uh, But more is very much welcome. We put many, 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 many hours into each of these shows and it helps make it uh, makes it all worthwhile. Also, we have another podcast all about video games music and that's called Sound of Play. Seek it out for the recent 50th Sound of Play podcast. Ryan, who's joining us on this here one, uh, put together with community member Andrew Brown uh, a fabulous compilation of 24 tracks from the Legend of Zelda series. Um, and that's a, a good sort of hour and a half long show. Uh, maybe a bit more, I can't remember. Anyway, it's 24 fantastic tracks from the history of The Legend of Zelda. So if you've been enjoying these Legend of Zelda podcasts on Kane and Rinse, surely uh, you should subscribe to that as an accompaniment. Uh, we also have uh, regular Sound of Play shows every Wednesday with nine tracks from all over the place in the world of video games. And if you just want to support us and make us feel wanted, uh, review and rate both of our podcasts uh, from on wherever you get them, really, iTunes or TuneIn or Stitcher or wherever else. If you have a platform that you use and we're not there, let us know. OK, so joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, we have Joshua Garrity. Hello there. It's Ryan Heyman, as I mentioned. Got my tingle tuner out. Uh, what you do in the privacy of your own home. I'll go ahead and tuck that et away. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, and returning Zelda guest, Leah Haydu. Hello. Not that you're only a Zelda guest, but this is, you know, this has been your, your wheelhouse lately. Uh, uh, recurring. Yes. Recurring, indeed, and very welcome you are too. So this is our, I've actually lost count, fifth, sixth, 
seventh Zelda podcast in our sequence of, I think, what will be 17 by the end, by the time we've done Breath of the Wild. Wow. Uh, and this is on Zelda no Densetsu Kazi no Takto, which means baton of wind, or as we know it usually in the West, the legend of Zelda, the Wind Waker. That is the Wind Waker. Some people just call it Wind Waker and we probably will, but uh, it has a definite article in there, uh, sticklers. Uh, of course, it was made by Nintendo EAD. Uh, this was directed by Eiji Aonuma, produced by Miyamoto and Tezuka. Um, now, the artists, uh, I think it's worth mentioning in this case, uh, credited for the very first concept drawing of Toon Link Star Link was one Yoshiki Haruhana. And the one of the art directors on the game, if not the art director, Satoru Takizawa, followed that up with a Moblin a Toon Moblin, and uh, and so the art direction went from there, apparently. The writers are Mitsuhiro Takano and Hajime uh, Takahashi, uh, and several composers worked on this game, as always, and we often have this issue on Sound of Play. We don't know who wrote what. That information may be out there. Um, Koji Kondo certainly uh, wrote a lot of the music, and obviously many of his themes recur, but we know that Kenta Nagata had a big hand in it, but there's also pieces from Hajime Wakai and Toru Mitagishi. Did you get to the bottom of any of that anymore in your Zelda music podcast, Sound of Play, Ryan? Uh, I think for this particular game, it was a little more difficult to dig into the specifics. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll leave it at that. Um, but as usual, we'll talk about the soundtrack later, of course. So the development of this one... Um, we can't we can't avoid mentioning the sort of uh, initial response. I don't I don't like just sort of trotting out uh, accepted wisdom, but I think it is true to say that there was some dissent voiced when Wind Waker was first shown um, on the internet. It was uh, the early two thousands. There was uh, initially uh, Zelda GameCube was sort of um, demoed sort of at space world 2000 that show and it was part of a montage of things that may be possible or coming to the new nintendo gamecube and it included some footage of a uh, kind of similar in, in its own way to the uh, little bit of fighting footage that was um debuted on the n64 some five years before i guess five or six years um it was a you know a lavishly drawn and animated link looking more like perhaps the link the adult link from ocarina of time uh, having a fight and then a year later at space world uh, 2001 nintendo showed uh, where they'd actually gone with this game with the with the toon link the cell shaded in inverted commas because i believe technically it's not actually cell shading but it's in a cell shaded style um, and some people were disappointed by this art direction thinking that maybe it looked you know, a bit, a bit kiddish or something, a bit, a bit childlike or a bit different to what people had started to get used to with Ocarina. Um, when in fact, in in many ways, as has been pointed out in the years since, in some ways, it actually was more of a throwback to the Super Nintendo era art. In that Link was very cartoony in that, and this was more like drawing that large on the big screen. Anyway, there were some dissenters, and we even hear from some of those later. Um, it has been said. Uh, that the game's popularity suffered considerably uh, from that, probably arguably due to that tech demo that's shown at Space World 2000, um, which may have created some false expectations. Um, 
because uh, possibly because some sources actually reported that that initial cutscene that was a kind of proof of concept demo was from the next Zelda game. So when when Wind Waker was presented the following year, uh, yeah, there was some confusion and disappointment. Uh, let's hear from some forumites straight away. Uh, Big Ben says, my first encounter with Wind Waker was a 2001 beta trailer. I was really excited to watch. Oh boy, was I disappointed. I just couldn't believe this is Zelda I was watching. I love the kind of realistic look from Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. And now this? I think I even shed a few tears for it felt like Nintendo wanted to completely destroy my favourite video game franchise. A few years later, as I played it, I was all excited again. Not especially fond of the look, though. I could at least give it a chance, and that turned out to be a good decision. The game was good, of course, and in the end, I even quite liked the graphics. This taught me a lesson I was never to forget, never judge by looks only. Of course, the game had its flaws too. I can only mention the vast ocean with the annoying travelling and the tedious hunt for Triforce pieces, but all in all, it was a great game, and I even revisited it on the Wii U and enjoyed it even more. It's actually one of the few games that seems to get a little better with age, at least for me. Uh, and also, on a similar topic, we have Gaio Pinto from our forum. I was 11 when I played Ocarina of Time and 13 when I soaked in the existential dread and despair of Majora's Mask. That was the same year when I saw the famous Space World 2000 demo and got excited for an even darker and more mature Zelda. At age 14, I saw the first gameplay footage of the newly designed Wind Waker and I hated it. My pre-adolescent self was convinced by this stupid Zelda for babies would be a bust. I feel like nowadays when people talk about the reaction to the Wind Waker reveal, it was always other Zelda fans who hated the look of this obviously charming and more expressive Toon Link. That is why I feel the need to shamefully raise my hand and admit that as a teenager, I very much did not want this new direction that Nintendo had chosen for my favourite franchise. All that being said, by the time the game came out, I decided to give it a shot anyways. It was still Zelda, for goodness sake, and as soon as I started playing it for myself, I loved it. Tetra is hilarious and a badass. All these years later, she is still far and away my favourite incarnation of Zelda. I ended up really liking Link's exaggerated facial expressions and the humour it allowed. Wind Waker's combat was tight and responsive and I never found the sailing to be as annoying as other people. Lastly, the final boss fight was one of the most epic moments in a Zelda game and the teenage version of myself was finally thrown a bone with that gnarly master sword to the face that ended the fight. Looking back, I'm still mildly embarrassed to have been one of those original Wind Waker doubters, but the game was so inventive and charming that it won me over easily. And one last quick one on this. Uh, Fieldy says, I remember seeing early screenshots of Wind Waker in N64 magazine and being very unsure what to make of it. In the course of one year, we'd gone from Space World 2000's Zelda tech demo, showing what a progression of Ocarina's graphical style sorry, showing a progression of Ocarina's graphical style to Space World 2001, where we got the first look at the new Toon Link. I think for a lot of people, myself included, that was a huge shock and a big gamble for Nintendo at the time. When the game finally arrived in 2003, I could see that Nintendo had done wonders with it. The world created in Wind Waker is one of the most colourful engrossing, engrossing of any Zelda title and kept me hooked for months after completion, seeking out hidden areas and items. Overall, this is one of my favourite Zelda titles along with Majora's Mask and Link's Awakening. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, I'm going to ask you guys to come in with your histories now because it seems pertinent to ask if... Uh, obviously, we had people there who were uh, kind of won over by the game in the end, despite their initial misgivings. There must be people out there who are still going, God damn, Toon Zelda. Um, what did they think they were playing at? Uh, Leah, do you remember all this shenanigans, this reveal? I do. Um, I So... Wind Waker was not 
quite my first Zelda game, but it was the first one that I really got into and really like just dug into completely. Um, I don't believe that I got it right at launch, but it would have been pretty close after that. Um, so uh, around this time, I would have been in graduate school when uh, when this came out. And I had a GameCube, and at the time, I was very much into um, just JRPGs. That was pretty much all I played was JRPGs. And that's not a genre, a genre that's in particular abundance on the GameCube. There are some, and there are some very good ones. Um, some of my favorites, in fact, are, are on... Uh, Tales games. Yeah, exactly. I'm yes, I am. Uh, Tales yeah. of Symphonia is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, they're not... They weren't in the numbers that maybe they are on, like, the PlayStation 2 or... Uh, well, not so much the Xbox, but the PlayStation 2 for sure. Um, so, yeah. so I started to kind of branch out and get recommendations from some of my other friends. And uh, one of the things that uh, kind of got pointed out to me as just kind of wandering around a, a GameStop, I guess it would have been at the time, um, was just to kind of look at these Zelda games that were starting to come out. And I, I um, would have been, as I said, shortly after. And I do remember uh, kind of the, um, the, the previews and the uh, the talk about it prior to the game actually releasing, and I'm not even sure whether it's <laughs> whether it's what I remember or just that I've heard it so frequently about the yeah. the backlash that that mm-hmm. the game experienced before it even did come out. Because I I mean I, I kind of think that I remember people some people being a little dismayed and thinking that it looked too kitty, but I, I think that. It, what I remember is maybe not necessarily what I remember, if that makes sense. It just, it does seem, Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that some of the correspondence actually gets to this, is that uh, people really overblow that. Like, everybody seems to say, oh, well, everybody was really against this when it came out, but nobody really seems to know anybody in person who was so (laughs) super against this new Zelda and is still super against this Zelda. And and as you were saying, I'm sure that they have to be there. You know, there's always somebody, uh, particularly... You know, it's the internet. Somebody's always going to be hating on something, but I, I don't, I don't remember it being that bad. Uh, and when I got into it, I, I, I loved it, and it, it being my first, uh, my first big Zelda, I suppose you'd say. Um, I was actually a little bit worried coming back to it because I have played it since then. Obviously, I, I have played it several times, but I hadn't played it in a couple of years. And, and this time around, I actually did end up playing the um, the HD version for Wii U, and um, I, I was a little concerned. I was I was kind of um, I was kind of worried that maybe this this game that I have held up to be probably my favorite Zelda wouldn't really mm. wouldn't really be that anymore. Um, and uh, I mean, we'll we'll get into this, but uh, I mm. I have uh, I have good things to say. Let's, let's put it that way. Nice, that's cool. Ryan, how about you? Do you remember all this, or did this pass you by? Were you so so youthful? Uh, yeah, I was a I was a teenager at the time, and so I kind of fall into the same boat as Guy Pinto there. Um, I uh, I don't even I can't even put myself back in that same mindset right now because. Even at the time, like my favorite game was like Banjo Kazooie, and you know, <laughs> even after this, like I would come to love Animal Crossing and have no problem with that. And so I really like I can't put myself back in that mind and think about like what I didn't like about that Zelda art style. I think like it felt felt a little kitty, but I don't usually have a problem with that kind of thing. Um, I think if mm. anything, I was kind of expecting like once you buy a new console, we're moving 
you know, from an age of the kind of like rough N64 polygons into some like approximation of reality. And the Zelda series had always been kind of like pushing that front. And so maybe just has like, you know, new console hype, like, oh, you know, all this uh, wave racer and stuff is cool, but like, I can't wait to see what they do with the Zelda because that'll just really, you know, pop off the screen and impress me with how realistic it looks. And so maybe it just like, wasn't what I was looking for necessarily, but you know, since then, like I've (laughs) I've certainly come around to it um, and have uh, very much grown to, to love it, admire the um, tune art style but yeah, I was a I was a bit of a detractor at first, and must have been even uh, after its release because I remember the uh, like the EGM April Fools' uh, little article that they did about a more kind of like a realistically rendered remake of this game. Uh, they had a little screenshot of of a of an adult Link like fighting a, a bird on a mountainside or something, kind of rendered like. Uh, yeah, some more standard like Twilight Princess style Zelda game would be. And I was like excited for that, like, oh, finally. <laughs> so, oh wow. I don't know when I ended up coming around, but uh but yeah, you know, teenager, what can you do? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh and you've played you've played the game through uh on have you played both versions or Yes. Yep, just played it through. Yes. I I think I got the Wii U version for free with uh it's probably when I bought Mario Kart or there's some sort of like they were giving away they a bunch of free games at yeah. some point I don't remember what the context yeah. was yeah I ended up with it yeah uh, we'll come on to that Josh how about you again uh, see I, I'm gonna I'm gonna think even if you were aware of all this back in 2000 you being such a fan of a studio quality animation you'd have been excited yeah. for this kind of a Zelda yeah, that, that's that's the interesting thing. So I I, I didn't have a GameCube um, at the time. Um, my first Nintendo console was the Wii, but I was very aware of the conversation around Wind Waker. But I think I kind of mis misinterpreted the negative reaction because I I I mm. saw so many videos and articles kind of um, baffled by Wind Waker and going and and I think. Um, by the time I was starting to pay attention to Zelda, um, Twilight Princess was just around the corner as well. And everyone was going, oh, thank God for Twilight Princess. They've corrected, you know, they've corrected their mistake with Wind Waker. And in my head, I I had interpreted the reaction to Wind Waker as, oh, so th- this is just a bad game. Like mm. it was badly designed or there was something fundamentally wrong with it. Because I never... I never had an issue with the art style because as you say like I've I've always been a huge fan of animation like um uh, you know I I was never ashamed as a teenager to say like you know Beauty and the Beast is legitimately one of my favorite films and um I I love um you know Studio Ghibli and and mm. all of that stuff so um so when I realized that that was the the issue I was kind of like I was a little bit baffled. And so then I got a Wii and I bought Twilight Princess and I played that and I loved it. And that was the first experience I'd ever had with Zelda. And then this was about the time where kind of the general consensus was starting to shift. Um, Enough time had passed from 
Twilight Princess's release that kind of the you know the negative backlash towards that game was starting to rear its head <laughs> and more positive appraisals of Wind Waker were starting to come out of the yeah, yeah. the woodwork so I bought a GameCube copy of uh, Wind Waker and it ended up being the second uh, Zelda game I uh, completed uh, so yeah, I, I've completed the original uh, GameCube game and the uh, the Wii U uh, HD entry, and yeah, uh, I have a lot of positive things to say later on. Cool, yeah, and obviously, as always, uh, we will be picking apart uh, the game's uh, flaws or issues such as we see them, and uh, certainly... Um people will be i think i think there are some which which come up time and time again we've already heard a little bit about them um my my wind waker uh saga now i can't remember exactly for the first time seeing that footage um i was just about on the internet in the year uh 2000 um but also that was back in the day when you might get videos or 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 dvds possibly but yeah dvds by that stage on magazines showing you footage from shows and stuff like that uh i think i was only on the internet with my dreamcast at that point um but that just about just about saw me right and uh um i i have a vague recollection of being feeling surprised by nintendo's art direction on wind waker but certainly not dismayed um I was, you know, interested, maybe slightly concerned, but not, uh, certainly not, you know, (laughs) furious. I mean, anyone who follows me on social media or listens to this podcast will know that I tend to be quite reasonable about the things about not um, throwing my toys out the pram when things aren't how I like them and and things like that. So, and also, of course, I was 28 years old when when Wind Waker was announced. So if I'd, I mean, I know it doesn't stop some uh, internet commentators uh, throwing a childlike paddy about things that they don't like, but uh, I'd like to think I was slightly beyond that. So I, you know, I bided my time. I already had the thought. I think I discussed it with with friends, saying, "Well, actually, I think maybe this harks back to, as I already said earlier, earlier Zelda's." Um, even though you know I'd loved Ocarina, I'd loved Majora's Mask. I had been looking forward to something that was perhaps you know an extension of those graphics on a on a new uh, higher resolution system um, I could see that this art was going to be absolutely lush I loved the look of the explosions and the and you know the, the the expressions on their faces and all that so yeah I just waited for it to come out the reviews came out um, and the, from 94 published reviews gamerankings.com has an average of 94.43% for the original release so pretty strong um i think that's higher than majora's mask for instance its immediate uh, console predecessor so of course i went and bought it day one and uh finished it over the next few weeks uh in this would have been in may 2003 um and yeah then it came out again in 2013 i uh i got a review copy for bt.com reviewed it for them gave it a positive review um then i gave that disc away to a friend and bought uh, a boxed version but then they gave it away for free and so i sold that and have a digital version just so you know and i've recently been uh back through that all the way through again on in in on the wii u in hd and we'll talk about the differences so uh yeah so the japanese version came out in december 2002 um and i think nintendo were pretty keen that it hit that release window Um, Now, many times games, particularly Zelda games, have been delayed until they're finished. And I think this one, it is widely known, was not delayed until it was finished. It was finished and then it was released 
in time for Christmas in Japan 2002 for GameCube's first uh, winter holiday season. Uh, it followed in America in March and then a couple of months later in Australia and the EU. Um, we haven't got time to go into the nitty-gritty, but there were already uh, a fair few tweaks and remixes from the Japanese version to the Western versions, mainly um, the reorganisation of certain treasures and heart pieces and collectibles and things like that, uh, which were yeah just slightly remixed. Um, the amount of uh, changes for the HD version uh, are quite comprehensive and I think it's worth talking more about that later because I don't think most of them were actually widely reported. Um, so yeah, the reviews were great. Wind Waker was in fact the fourth game ever to receive a perfect 40 out of 40 from Famitsu magazine and as far as I know, the GameCube version went on to sell uh, 4.6 million copies worldwide, most of which were in America. Um, and yeah, that was that was its release. It was released in two formats because there was an early run with um, Ocarina and the Master Quest included wasn't there. But later on, it dropped that. And I think there was a best of kind of re-release as well. Um, and then that was the last release until the, the Wii U version in 2013. Uh, we should issue a little spoiler warning. Um, this is set at the end of the Zelda timeline, uh, as far as it is now. It's a, it, it, I mean, it's not because Phantom Hourglass and I believe Spirit Tracks are actually, uh, actually follow-ups to this. But at this point, this was set, uh, according to A.G. Aonima, uh, 100 years after the ending of Ocarina of Time with Link as an adult. 100 years and Miyamoto said that as well 100 years very specific uh, so yeah this was set many years in the future after the uh, gods had wreaked biblical havoc and flooded Hyrule um, and that, that comes into the into the story so as well as the art style the other thing to come to terms with of course about this game was the fact that rather than walking and riding a horse about the land we were sailing um, and we'll talk about the specific uh, sort of elements to the gameplay of that but uh, how about you and was that an idea that was actually appealing in itself something different or was it like just again was it a step too far and you wanted to retain uh, you know the the traditional on foot exploring Leah how about you well not really having um, a, a, a not not exactly not having a comparison but not having a, a preset notion of uh, how this should have gone down I really liked the fact that there were kind of these little segments that could have slightly different um, I mean they all had the same visual style roughly you know and, and they all uh, are, are pretty uh, connected but they could have different little puzzles and they were all um, to an extent kind of self-contained it it, uh, it looking back on it now it kind of reminds me of mario galaxy in a way because you have all of these kind of separate little chunks that all fit together really well but you can go from one to the other and you can complete everything on one of them and maybe there's something on you know a different place that will lead you back to this place and and you know they're they are all as i said interconnected that way but i really i really like that um that they have that kind of separation to them um it it 
kind of satisfies my need to be able to check things off a list. Like I have my entire yeah, chart yeah. filled out because I could see on my screen where I had to go in order to fill out the this little square up in the corner. And I could check off all of these things. You can't really check mm. off every section of Hyrule. And for some people, that's going to be a really good thing because there's always going to be somewhere else to explore. And there's always somewhere else to explore here too. It's just in a different way. Mm. Ryan? Uh, yeah, the... Uh, I guess the sailing scenes felt a little sparse at first and um, they, they eventually did throw some things your way to make it a little bit more interesting, some combat encounters and all of that. But uh, I don't know if, if those particular encounters necessarily played to the game's strengths, but uh, you know, eventually like I did really warm up to just this feeling of kind of freedom as you're sailing across the sea. Uh, I guess the things I weren't as much of a fan of were the, I guess some of the little puzzle islands. Um, it was since they rarely, or I, I guess maybe I just wasn't being observant enough, but it felt like a lot of the time they weren't like visually distinct enough to like immediately remind me whether or not this is something that I've already done or whether I should come back here later. And, you know, when they're all just kind of like little dots on a map, essentially kind of, you know, mm. just weird shaped islands that are like somewhat, identical kind of um you know other than other than shape it's kind of hard to remember like which one was the one that needed the hammer for um and also i i never really got on with the ones that were kind of like shaped like uh like dice faces yeah i agree yeah but otherwise like i i really liked the um I just like the the feeling of setting out into the kind of the setting sun and getting the day night cycle and uh, and seeing little fishes flop about and it's, yeah it's 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 a pretty setting as well. Yeah, and uh, there's that music as well, of course, which accompanies your every journey. And uh, for me, it it did quite a lot to um, lessen the the impact of the of the fact that there wasn't always that much going on. Um, yeah, my, on, on the reefs, I think, as they're called, the, the sort of the, the numbered reefs. Um, the, th- the issue I had with that was I loved the idea that this was a flooded future Hyrule. Um, that felt like a really cool idea that actually all the games that we'd done in the past were uh, below us, you know, as in that, that world. And, you, you know, you, you go to see it later in the game. Um, but... And and the idea that the mountaintops were the islands was great, but that didn't... I know these were supposed to be reefs, but some of the islands, it didn't sort of seem to quite make sense. I, I know uh, there was originally um, meant to be a GameCube island, as there is a DS island in the Phantom Hourglass. Um, and I'm quite glad that didn't make it in because it's just... It's a bit too kind of um, fourth wall breaking for something that... Um, something that i you know i'd have rather more of the islands had a sort of more natural organic shape uh, a la the winds you know windfall and outset forest haven that could have been the tops of mountains at some point a hundred years ago or whatever uh josh how about you uh, sailing the seas was that an appeal or was that something you were prepared to just put up with i i i do understand a lot of the the criticisms leveled at the sailing but for me um Wind Waker just nails the aesthetic so perfectly for me that I'm willing to forgive long stretches where you're just sailing and nothing much is happening because yeah. I just I adore soaking in the um, the atmosphere and every time like a 
a group of seagulls suddenly starts, you know, flying past your your boat and and as, almost as if they're cheering Link on and go, yeah, go Link, go. It just it's so it's so joyous those moments. Um, and and also it's worth mentioning that and this is a super super subjective thing. Um, when these moments kind of fill me with a lot of nostalgia mm. for my childhood when mm-hmm. um i used to go sailing out yeah you've mentioned on this a, before yeah yeah uh, on a two-man uh two-man sailboat uh called mm. uh called a mirror with my granddad and right. i think um even though wind Waker, like say the sailing in wind waker is hardly realistic and hardly kind of replicates the actual kind of moment to moment you know action of actually no, of operating a boat like that but it it captures the feeling of just you know sailing across the you know the, you know a, a body of water and seeing wildlife and seeing the sun and kind of like soaking in that you know, sea breeze and stuff like that. that feeling of adventure that the aesthetic and the music kind of injects those moments with. I think Wind Waker does such a good job of capturing that. Um, that yeah, I, I'm I'm really happy when I'm just sailing along and and soaking in all of that stuff. The one criticism I would level is that constantly having to change the direction of the wind yeah. did get irritating after a while. And I'm really grateful that the um, HD version included the uh, the modified uh, modified sail that does that automatically for you because it, it did get to a point where it's like i'm just constantly having to do this and it's getting a bit irritating yeah it also cuts the length of time it it doesn't replay the song every time you play it and that sort of thing there's there's a lot of stuff like that and it does it does make a huge difference probably most of our recent experiences have been with the considerably streamlined hd version um one of the criticisms in the original review for it, GameSpot said, uh, you know, the game starts out in a very brisk manner, um, but in the last third of the game, the focus on sailing is pretty tedious. Uh, and IGN said that viewing the animation of using the Wind Waker hundreds of times became a tedious nuisance, and the lack of an option to skip the animation was more bothersome still. Um, and I think, yeah, people who haven't been back to the to the HD version will will maybe have some some negative memories. That said, I enjoyed this game a lot on the GameCube. Um, I did everything. I completed my C chart as Leah did. And to be honest, that kind of felt like, you know, that that actually negotiating the world stuff, having that extra layer sort of, I don't know, in, in some ways it felt slightly more immersive to me. I, I very quickly went and got the swift sale um, for this playthrough. And apparently it was intended as a power up in the GameCube version, but the GameCube simply couldn't handle the pace of rendering the world at, at much higher speeds. Um, it would have led to slowdown and, and things not, you know, popping in or whatever. Um, there were two uh, two assets, I think, a Zora sale and a Tingle sale that were found buried in the code for the original game. Um, and presumably one or both of them would have had that functionality of no longer having to, to twirl the baton to change the wind for you. But as I say, in some ways, it made me feel a little bit more connected with the game world. So I think for me, it's a slightly double-edged sword, that one, um, as is one of the other uh, tweaks, which I'll talk about later. And kind of the political environment that this uh, this world paints as well is interesting for a Zelda game in that 
uh, you know, while there are kind of like home bases for a lot of these uh, different races and different groups of people and everything, uh, a lot of them feel like they're kind of like built up from scraps or from, uh, you know, bits of the old world that they've been able to kind of harness and repurpose, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like water world in a way. Uh, but it also has the advantage of making many of the games kind of like key players mobile, uh, which is interesting because, you know, like in uh, Ocarina of Time, like you always knew where Ganondorf was for the most part. Like you always knew like when there was a center of evil, like this is the place that I need to infiltrate. But a lot yeah, of these sure. things, like the the pirates just kind of roam the seas and even the the shops would just kind of like, you know, drift all over the place and occasionally just like run into a shop boat just out in the middle of the ocean. Beetle, like, yeah, I'm going to go boat. and uh, yeah. go and buy some stuff. How handy to have him here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ganon, yeah, Ganon, as you say, moves around. You actually, um, you with your friendly dragon, torch him out of his home at, at one point and uh, his fortress and uh, and he ends up uh, turning up elsewhere later on. Um, and I also like the fact that Although, you know, it doesn't really make sense because it's only 100 years in the future, but um, some of the traditional Zelda tribes or or species or races have actually morphed into others. So um, the Zoras have become... Now, which one do the Zoras become? Do they become the flighted ones? they become the Rudo, is that right? It's kind of odd um, that the Zora evolved away from being able to swim. You'd think that would be rather advantageous. Well, given the way the world looks right now. You can kind of see it, though, even, because, I mean, they've got, like, the fin, the, the almost ornamental fin things going on, mm. and those those could be wings, you know? I guess that's kind yeah, of how that yeah. went. I, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fair point. You just think, if you're going to be able to swim at any point in your species history, this is probably the one you want to have it for. Yeah, yeah, that's actually really true. <laughs> but, yeah, let's go back to um, this link. Uh, so, this, it's, uh, it's again, you know, it's always a different link and this one is um different to some of the other stories in that um he's not really aware that there's anything special about him at all uh it's not he's not thrust into some situation immediately he's not even acknowledged as one of the carriers of one of the symbols of the triforce until very very late in the game he's just a normal uh boy about to come of age uh when you first find him he's wearing his uh his just his regular little blue outfit with a picture of a lobster on it, I think. Um, and uh, one of the first things you do is to get his green outfit, unless you're playing New Game Plus, in which case you get an invisible outfit and you get to carry on wearing your lobster gear, which is quite cool. Um, but as well as uh, this link just being an ordinary guy, uh, as as people have already alluded to, is perhaps uh, the most, well, surely uh, the most... Um, richly animated link up to this point um famous for his furtive glances and 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 stern looks and and um and his actual interaction with the world around him rather than just curses and interaction points coming up he'll actually turn his head and and look at things in the room um who was a fan of that and and you know obviously we've we've spoken Mm. about any misgivings regarding the art style but uh did did link himself with his big eyes do anything to win you over liked this link I, I i love this art style i i thought that the um that the actual animations um were very fluid and uh made it easy to um to kind of get into what everybody had to do along the way um all the jumping and slashing and, and things exploding and everything it all it all flowed together very well i thought and a lot of the animation uh was useful in determining 
like uh, gameplay strategies in a way. I don't really know how to describe that perfectly, but kind of like you would see in uh, in Conquer's Bad Fur Day before this, like he would very visibly like look at points of interest around him and kind of like just through his eyes or the way he would turn his head would draw the player's attention to, you know, points of interest, things that they should be attenuating to as well. I think all of this, you know, fantastic animation um, helps give this version of Link a, a form of discernible personality that I've never felt with any of the other versions of Link. Um, I mean, in terms of just... He's, he's still silent. He's still, you know, just doing what everyone else tells him to do. But something about the way he reacts to certain situations and... and um, just like the scene where he's waving goodbye to his grandmother when he's on the boat and, and st- stuff like that. It just helps lend this particular Link uh, a life of his own that I felt like, um, for the most part, wasn't present in many other versions of Link. With with stuff like Twilight Princess and um, Majora's Mask, etc., etc., it feels very much like I'm... I'm in the world and I'm Link and I'm interacting with everyone. Whereas whenever I play Wind Waker, it's specifically I'm playing as Wind Waker Link. Mm -hmm. And he has his own opinions and thoughts about the world and you can see that on his face and the way he reacts to things. Um, So yeah, I I think this version of Link is incredibly successful and I think for me he's definitely my favorite. Is there any other Zelda game in which uh, Link has siblings? That's a good question. I don't think we've had one up to this point in our run, have we? I can't think think of one. But yeah, I mean, for for the the whole first more than half, I think, the game, you're, you're, you're not going after Zelda, you're going after his sister. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. You, you've got a grandmother, and certainly in previous games we've had uncles and, and things like that, guardians of, of some kind. But yeah, to actually have a sibling, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a twist, and that brings us to uh, the subject of Tetra, who is a sort of uh, well, you don't you don't know exactly what to make of her at first, but she's a, she's a spunky pirate lass <laughs> with a with a band of. A band of pirates. Um, she's she's tanned with tied back hair, and she's got loads of brass, and she kicks ass, and she's bold, and she's brave. And then, at some point during the story, I'm not sure exactly how many hours into the game, maybe about halfway. Uh, it turns out she didn't know this either. By the way, it turns out that she is actually Princess Zelda. Um, and uh, for for you to discuss, we have some uh, correspondence on this from our forum. Uh, Flabio says one thing that did always bother me about Tetra. She's this amazing, badass, tanned pirate queen. The moment she finds out she's really Princess Zelda, she gets shoved in a dress, loses her tan and spends the next half of the game shut up somewhere and prevented from doing anything. Like, as soon as it turned out she was meant to be the damsel, she quite happily goes with it. Why does Zelda never get to have any actual agency? Bah! And Gaio Pinto says, I 100% agree with you. It is a super, sorry, it is super blatant that Tetra can be a cool pirate leader and Zelda must be a super feminine object to be rescued. It was a real bummer. So my response to that, I, I agree with this. I, I don't, I don't 
particularly like that that there's that humongous disconnect between uh, Tetra in the beginning of the game and then when she but the thing that I did like is that after everything is over after the big bad is is defeated at least for the moment she goes back to being Tetra like the last sections of the game are her back in her gear back on her pirate ship she doesn't she doesn't think that because she has been revealed to be Zelda and has been revealed to, to have this heritage that she has to now, you know, sit in a castle and do nothing for the rest of her life. She goes back to doing exactly what she was doing before. Um, so, I mean, that's, yes, there are problems with, with how that's presented, but I, I do think that, that it gets redeemed in the end. Interesting. I th- just to add on to what uh, Leah was just saying, I think in the actual final boss battle as well, Zelda does regain some of her agency as she's, you know, actively contributing to the fight. And a lot of her lines of dialogue are very, you know, Tetra-like. She's not being a, you know, passive princess in those moments. She's being just as tough as she was later on. That doesn't, you know... I don't think that negates the criticism that um, the moment she gets a dress, she's locked up in a room for the most of the rest of the game. But yeah, I, I do I do agree with Leah that um, I think the very end kind of redeems that uh, that problem with the game. We we've talked about uh, how Link looks, but uh, we must spend some time on the overall look of the game, the art and the graphics. Um, thinking about thinking back to playing the uh, the original GameCube version um, on. Uh, on a standard definition television um i don't think it was widescreen either i think it was probably was it windowed i don't think it had a wide 16.9 option um but whatever um i remember being hugely impressed at the time as i say with with not just uh the sort of technical side of the way it looked in terms of it looking you know like a a cartoon come to life to use a sort of cliche um but it was also the 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 stylistic uh, elements of it the the actual the design of the characters and the iconography in the world and things like the uh those purple exploding clouds uh with with their you know wispy tendrils it, it all looked like you know it really did look like ghibli disney quality animation and i was impressed by it then and i thought it was brilliant and wonderful and striking and i was you know coming back to that idea of it being different from other zeldas or or a change i think i was thinking then this is okay this is a zelda it's not the last zelda it's not the first zelda all the other zeldas still exist majora's mask still exists this doesn't negate that um and there will be zeldas again in the future we don't know but they you know they possibly won't all take after this same art style and that's cool too and as it turns out they've used a they've used a combination for some games they've stuck with the sort of wind waker some games they haven't some games they've gone somewhere between the two but um playing the hd version for the first time in 2013 I remember thinking, "Wow, this you know what a, what a what a beautiful update this is." But I think I was, I, I think what amazes me the most about this game is, and yes, obviously now it's in widescreen and it's in higher definition and they've upres the textures and all that sort of thing. But playing this again for the third time in 2016, my jaw dropped at least as much as ever. Um, setting out for the first time, you know, even even the early scenes on on Outset Island are, are pretty. Um, but as soon as you start, you know, exploring and the light changes and the weather changes and you rock up, literally rock up on, on other islands, 
and um, and see the world unfolding before you. I find this game visually genuinely breathtaking. I think the HD update does a lot to... Um, it's not just a strict HD update like you would see with uh, like the Shadow of the Colossus collection or you know some of the recent definitive editions we've had come over to the uh, current gen consoles. Like this was almost like a different art style in a lot of ways. Uh, they, they changed the way that light reflected off of objects, which made it appear almost more kind of like um, like plastic figures or like everything felt more kind of like uh, more physical in a way, whereas things appear yeah, more kind yeah. of like animated and, and hand-drawn and, and there were like really firm, solid colors before. And so I think, you know, both mm. art styles kind of exist in their own space. I don't really like comparing mm-hmm. the two of them, but um, right. like when you see people up the old ones um, on the Dolphin emulator, like they still look yeah. stunning and, you know, they look stunning in a completely sure. different way than the HD remake does. It, yeah, it's a very good point. It's very easy with, um, with games that are technically impressive on a particular console or a series of consoles if it's if it's on more than one it's very easy for that kind of thing to age and not always well something that's more stylized like this has the advantage of when it does get these updates and when it does get examined years or or even many years later it it, not always, obviously, but it can frequently escape looking dated like that. It it, it frequently holds its its um, not its value. Uh, it, it frequently holds how it looks more easily uh, than if it's trying to look current, uh, because you're not seeing you know a, oh this is this is completely technically very detailed and and everything is you know on the on the latest. Uh, latest and best uh microchips that we can possibly stuff into it it has the most graphics you know and and that 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 doesn't have to be the case in order for it to look good and sometimes in fact i think that the more stylized something is the the better um the better chance there is that it's going to look good many years later and i think that this is one of those cases i think that if this had been um a twilight princess or uh what people initially thought that it might be then it might not look as good to a modern audience now and it might i mean it could be that i'm wrong and that it would look the exactly uh, exactly as impressive as this does but i think that having such a stylized look to it uh is a benefit um in the longevity of this game yeah definitely josh i i just can't get over how good um the grass looks i know that's such a silly simple little thing Not but, at all. um when you first uh you know re- uh, i think it's forest haven when you first go to that uh, that island and there are little patches of grass and there's the waterfall there and and all of that it's just i i'm just blown away by how beautiful the basic things in the world look just the you know grassroots stuff not you know an amazing sunset or just a you know an amazing skybox or anything like that it's just like oh look at that waterfall over there isn't that beautiful um and just the way the water flows the little you know lines of white through the water and it just it feels like 
um, you know, a great 2D animated film. Uh, it just really captures that um, that depth and personality of like a, 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 a um, kind of 90s or 60s era Disney film. Um, and I just, yeah, I just, the fact that something so small can have such a huge impact, I think is... It needs to be commended. I know I'm not. I, I, what I'm saying here is not particularly um, useful as a piece of criticism. It's just me going on and on about how great it looks and stuff like that. But I, I just think it needs to be highlighted how even the small things in this game are visually impressive and that's incredible because when you're not trying to aim for like realistic then every graphical detail is like a, an intentional choice that you know that somebody's made whereas you can look at you know games that are aiming for realism and say like they did a good job of achieving this you know this goal of making it look just like a real thing but it doesn't necessarily feel like a choice yeah, and uh, I, th- I think um, I think you make a good point, Ryan. I- I'd say thinking back and and having watched some footage of GameCube Wind Waker, which I now haven't played for a long time, I think I think you're right. In some ways, the GameCube version looks like a high end, you know, cell cartoon of Disney or Ghibli or one of those. Whereas perhaps the HD version looks more like a sort of a modern, um, you know, Pixar type of situation um i mean although obviously it still retains a cel-shaded look but it has a slightly more um sort of solid uh cg quality to it um and yeah i think they're both but i think it might be hard to go back to the uh, the gamecube version once you've got used to certain uh streamlinings that they did yeah uh so i think the sound is always important with zelda as well not not just the music we'll come on to that but the actual uh, the sound design um the thing obviously this game is big on wind um miyamoto talked about the the fact that they tried to u- utilize uh wind in games previously they did a little bit in uh, if you think about in super mario 64 there's bits where you can get blown off a, pl- a platform or your hat can get blown off and that uh, the with the, the frosty snowman dude and stuff like that um but here obviously it it comes front and center so some of the the actual environmental sounds are really important the water sounds um and i think this uh this game has one of the most striking uh sound effects sort of soundscapes for me of any zelda um the like the collection of of rupees and everything's particularly crisp and shiny um i don't know you know i can't i haven't been able to go back and compare if that's um if that's stuff that's been kind of enhanced on the wii u but i remember it being like that anyway it's 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 like how i remember it being back then um and the the sort of the uh the ascending orchestra stabs in the combat as well um is something that i will always associate um with this game at first and it having a very a sort of pleasing um you know endorphin rush associated with it uh but i think um yeah this was a couple of years after eco and i think that was one of the first games where i remember the the sounds of wind being um absolutely integral to the experience the you know the atmosphere of that game being sold and i think this sort of carried that on so the ost as we've described it was by a, a number, a, a, coll- a collaboration of people, uh, including Koji Kondo, of course. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, suffice to say that for me, it's another wonderful collection of 
musics. Um, you know, I have my favourites and some of those which are probably slightly more forgettable. But overall, I really love the music in this game. What I would say, um, and this still remains a criticism, is that some of the instrumentation sounds quite cheap. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, I was hoping for a real uh, up upscaling in quality of orchestral sounding music after the the restrictions on the cartridge games that that were this game's predecessor as much as i love the soundtracks to ocarina and majora's mask it was excusable that they sounded a bit um, synthesized because of the medium on which they were uh, being played and the console i thought once we got to the gamecube despite the miniature discs of course you remember that did have storage uh, capability um, restrictions I was thinking that we could have been looking forward to music that sounded more like an orchestra and to a point we get that but some of the instruments um, particularly in the combat music just sound really tinny and tacky to me which is a a, a real shame and having heard some of these tunes orchestrated since I still kind of wish that those were the versions we were hearing but that said like the music on right at the start of the game on outset island is just a joy and there's various tunes throughout the game which which i love and some of uh, at least one or two you can hear on our recent sound of play uh, and of course some at the start and the end of this um there was a wonderful it's now i guess it's like a vintage youtube clip there was a guy who did a multi-instrument version you know all, all his own work for as a christmas thing of of the main theme which i think is actually the is it the Ballad of Gales? Um, anyway, it's it's one of the main uh, one of the, the main themes of the game, and uh, it's yeah, it's ab- absolutely delightful. A lot of this music is really crisp as well. Uh, like you think about a lot of the percussion, and then that lead kind of like flute type instrument in the um, Dragon Roost Island mm. music, which is probably one of the better remembered pieces of music from this uh game because it's gone on in uh, many smash bros and and so on um i love that piece of music and um and i i love just in general how how much different this game soundtrack feels from all of the previous games in the series like it has a certain uh, and I'm not quite knowledgeable enough to like correctly identify the point of origin. Celtic, yeah. I think, would be the okay, word. Okay, that's, that's yeah. what I was going to guess. But it always kind of reminded yeah. me of kind of like the, uh, you know, Scottish Isles or whatever, because, you know, just taking this kind of island or, or coastline setting with the sharp cliffs and everything, like I think they really were intentional about rooting that in a real life musical tradition that also comes from an area that is uh, kind of similar in geography almost almost like the uh the way that yeah. the world is built informs um you know it's kind of how like geography informs language to some degrees in in certain situations yeah it's very much it's very much like the the north uh, the northwest of the UK and Ireland there's you know there's the, we've got loads of you know these beautiful little islands dotted around off the west coast of Scotland and and north of north of Ireland and that's where uh, there's a lot of crossover in the music between those those two areas and yeah it's, I'm sure it's a strong influence. Yeah, um, again, it's it's just going back to the sailing, um, that great sea music mm. that plays. Um, especially, I I love the way. Um, this game handles um, the transition from night to day um, because 
there is a specific piece of music that starts to play as the moon sets and the sun starts to rise. And when the sun is in full view, um, it just launches into the great sea theme. And the f- like, the feeling of adventure um, that that creates when the sun is in full view, the water starts to change colour. It, 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 you know, it, at night it's much darker, um, a bit of a greeny tinge to it as well. But then it goes full bright blue. Um, you can see the white clouds in the sky, and, and the sun is bright and and yellow, and the seagulls start to appear again. Just, it's an aesthetic kind of. Um, just uh, all these aesthetic things coming together in one sequence and the music being kind of key to tying all those things together um, it's um, it's just so memorable um, yeah I, th- I think it, for me what's so impressive is not only how good the music is but how the game does such a great job of coordinating its use of music with the the visuals that are on screen uh, another thing that I still find myself uh, thoroughly enjoying going back to Wind Waker is just the feel of controlling Link in the world, his his locomotion. I don't know if it's partly an effect of the way the game looks and the visual styles, but everything to me feels so smooth. And talking about the the combat again and that escalating orchestra stab thing, which sounds uh, slightly um, more synthesized than I'd like it to, but, but I like it regardless. Um, Link, for the first time ever, for me, um, feels really capable. Even though he's this stubby little cartoon Link, he, his, his running about, his jumping, his swinging from place to place, everything, maybe it's the animation, maybe it's the art style, maybe it's just the, 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 you know, the slightly increased power of the hardware, the GameCube back then, um, allowed everything to uh, just flow more nicely. But I still just have a lot of pleasure of actually controlling Link in this world. And that's still true of, of the game's predecessors to a point, but this one still kind of, for me, feels like the, the smoothest incarnation of being in one of, one of Zelda's worlds. I think this kind of hit me the hardest when I was doing the uh, sword training back on Outside Island mm. and, like, actually having a lot of fun doing just the training. Like, <laughs> That's usually the worst part of a 3D Zelda game, but like I, I loved that little bit and just learning about, uh, about that silly little like roll that he does around the enemy's back, and then mm. he can like strike them from behind and cut off their armor, and um, it's mm. it's just so much fun to just you know be the zippy little Link and uh, be able to you know swing and roll all over the place. <laughs> Yeah, that that um the 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 counter thing. I mean, you get you get a nice big prompt and um uh, and yeah, but slicing the 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 stuff off of of them reminds me a bit. So that yeah, the combat reminds me of a couple of things. The that scene from the '98 uh, is it Legend of Zorro with Antonio Banderas and Catherine Zeta Jones, and also um, something which I wasn't so much a fan of, but the the feel of it was is uh similar to me to to when Yoda um gets going in in episode 2 which is a film i really don't like at all but that the idea of this little guy suddenly you know we wheeling and whirling about and and tying his enemies in knots um was really appealing to me 
Yeah, we, we'll come on to. I mean, we're, we're moving. We're moving in that direction anyway. So let's 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 wrap it all into one uh, for economy and appropriateness. Um, playing through the quest in this game, uh, there are seven dungeons. Um, we'll talk about what what may have been excised later. There are a couple of points where it where it seems very apparent, um, and you know, the Nintendo has said that dungeons were uh, omitted. This this is particularly clear uh, when you go to meet uh, Jabun, who is um, the this game's version of uh, Jabu Jabu, um, where you go to him and clearly there was going to be a dungeon there, and instead you just have a little conversation and he gives up he gives up his item, um, and then later there's the the infamous Triforce quest, which involves a lot of sailing, considerably less in the HD version, um, and. Uh, and it seems uh, that there should have been at least one or two temples later in the game. What I would say is that there are seven remaining. There are seven um, dungeons. Uh, I enjoyed absolutely all of them. Like there's, I don't think there's a there's a for me there's not a slack or frustrating dungeon in there. Um, and similarly, the bosses. I think they're all you know ab- absolutely great fun and visually just mind-blowing at times uh just properly awesome like that used that's a, that's a word that gets used a lot these days but awesome i was in awe of the skill and art that went into making these bosses however what i would say is that uh this game takes a massive plummet in terms of difficulty compared to its predecessors uh now i think we can say that probably that was a path that the game was already on. If you compare the trouble we had completing the original games on the NES um, and then thinking that Link to the Past on the SNES was a little bit easier, but had its moments. And then the 3D ones, Ocarina and Majora's Mask, you know, again, perhaps toned down the challenge a little bit. But this, for me, this the difficulty of this game drops off, drops off a cliff. I did not die at any stage during this game. Um, on my latest playthrough, admittedly, I played it before. I worked out what to do on all the bo- bosses and dungeons without needing a walkthrough because it was always so straightforward. Or the game just told you. Um, now, I didn't mind this because, again, I was playing it for fun. I was playing it against a time limit as well. But it seems like a, such a huge philosophical change. Um, and I, I don't know what the you know what the, the internal thinking was. Was this is you know the GameCube was not doing very well. Was this like let's try to get more people on board by making this game more accessible for them? Um, you could even play with with the uh, with uh, Tingle uh, as a as a co-op player. The the idea was that yes, this is where they started going with the Wii, having non-gamers, um, or, you know, non-hardcore gamers maybe helping out. Um, the, the player by dropping items in the world and things like that. But for me, the fact that this game is ridiculously easy, I'm going to say overall, uh, wasn't a problem. But I think that um, maybe for some, it, it will lose some of the appeal by, by being just such a cakewalk. Um, how, how do you all feel about this? Did you, yeah, whole, taking it holistically, did you enjoy your progress through the main story of the game, dungeons and bosses? Um, and did you find it to be too easy, you know, to the point that it was actually less engaging or not? Let's start with Leah. Uh, I, I did find that it was considerably easier than some of the earlier Zeldas, but uh, like you, I didn't really mind it. I, I was having a good time in the world and, and having yeah, a good experience. It. Uh, so I didn't. I didn't really think that that hurt it for me. 
um, I, I guess that's not really why I come to Zelda games. Uh, so yeah. I, I didn't feel that it, it harmed the experience for me. Um, the bosses, uh, I, I really enjoyed with one notable exception. Um, uh-huh. I had um, some issues with the last form of Puppet Ganon, the, the worm thing. Oh my god. <laughs> I had, okay, I had we, some trouble. Yeah. <laughs> um, were we using... Um, what sort of aiming were you using? Or was or was this even back in the day with the controller? Well, I I don't I don't really remember um, the the last time I no, played, sure. uh, but I, I I think that I probably I probably had to have had issues with this. But I um, for the most part, when the option was offered to me, I actually did use a lot of the gyroscopic aiming. Yeah, I did. I went back to it after because it's a real hassle trying to use the right stick on the gamepad. So I, yeah, I went. I actually enjoyed. I actually enjoyed the gyroscopic aiming in this game. And the game, first couple of times, yeah, the first couple of times it came up, I I kind of did it without thinking about it because the first couple of times it comes up, yeah. it's like you're you're using your grappling hook to, to grab onto something, and and I I didn't even I didn't even consciously think, oh well, now I have to I have to hold my little screen up and look around i just kind of did it and then it it felt pretty good so i kept i kept using it that way yeah um so yeah. uh yeah I, I that that i felt was a really good feature and i i not to get too off topic but i really liked how they handled uh the second screen uh with the wii u version um but yeah that particular fight um i had some i had mm. some real issues hitting that final <laughs> form yeah, I did actually. It took a while, but I guess I guess the, this is comes comes back to the difficulty thing is the fact that nothing really does you much damage. And oh, and I still didn't you know, die. This goes, I, I was I kind of hid behind. There's yeah, a yeah, there exactly. that I could kind of hide behind and just pick them off as yeah. I and you know if I ran out of magic, I'd run out, hit some things, get the magic, run back behind I, the pot. I, I guess for me, like the challenge of the combat encounters isn't really what I come to Zelda for in the first place. Uh, if this was like yeah. Bloodborne and I was just kind of zipping through it, then I would probably be a little bit more, uh, I guess, angry about that. But I, I guess the the joy that I get out of Zelda games is mm. like the puzzle solving and the world exploration and stuff like that. And in this game in particular, like the combat was still a lot of fun because. You know, yeah. there was something gratifying mm-hmm. about the the music and the light show that they put on and the enemies all just felt like really squishy and just fun to hit with your sword. Um, mm. And so, yeah, no, I, I didn't mind the lesser difficulty. And if anything, like it just kept me from repeating parts, which uh, I, I don't really find that engaging to begin with anyways. So I'm all for this. Yeah, I'm the same. And obviously, you know, if if we're I'm just jumping in ahead of Josh here, if, if we're all the same on this, then we represent presumably a certain amount of the listening audience. But I do know, you know, there are people out there who um, who won't necessarily feel the same. But I'd say that the difficulty of this definitely influenced the difficulty of first uh, or I guess next was Okami, which is obviously by Clover and uh, and that team. That's you know, we, we discussed that game back in in whichever Kane Rince issue it was. Um, and I think the the panel was universally in love with that game, despite that it had it had a very similar difficulty level to to Wind Waker, and you know particularly unusual for a Kamiya game to be so crazily easy. And then Twilight Princess came just after that, um, the successor to this, and in some ways probably influenced by Akami. Um, and again, really, really, really it's easy probably game. easier so, than this one, yeah. Yeah, possibly so. Uh, Josh, how do you feel about the the lack of overall challenge? If if indeed I mean, you I, found it that way, I mean, 
I pretty much agree with you guys. Um, I like Ryan. Um, I, I'm I don't usually enjoy Zelda when the combat is the challenge. I do enjoy um, you know challenging puzzles and, and such. Yeah. And I think mm. in some ways, um, if there was a version of Wind Waker with more challenging puzzles, I might you know like to experience that. Yeah, but yeah. I think. I think Wind Waker does such a good job of getting you doing different things and and varying up the experience that I don't think I really noticed the lack of challenge every time I've played through this game. Mm. It's not something I'm thinking of critically as I'm playing. It's only something I realized after the fact. And yeah, and I think, you know, some of the later bosses and, and, and the later dungeons where they partner you up with a little friend to help you out, that stuff was so, you know, interesting in its own right that I, I really wasn't that bothered by the lack of uh, difficulty. Yeah, although I found the puzzles generally pretty straightforward all the way through, I had a lot of fun solving them, and it was fun that I could solve them you know fairly quickly without thinking i'm gonna have to look this up and then i'll feel stupid when i see the answer (laughs) um and yeah i mean this this is you know the era when nintendo started to give much more heavy-handed clues as to how to solve things um but yeah i had i had a lot of fun solving the earth temple with medley and the wind temple with makar um there's some speculation as to whether one of the cut uh dungeons may have been some sort of team up with tetra um which would have been pretty brilliant i like to think um yeah that would have been great uh but yeah the like the combat there's there's one section um that you need to do uh a big uh a big arena fight basically a, a, an endless you know down a hole fight another room of creatures fight a whole fight a whole room of creatures down another hole and so on and so forth until you're um you know it's it's yeah it's like a it's like a non-boss rush. It's like a mini-boss rush or something. Um, there is also a boss rush. Uh, and But because I enjoyed the combat so much, uh, even though you know, the, the level of challenge was not extremely high, um, it was fun to muck around with the enemies. That For a start, the, the animation is just insane. It's off the scale. Brilliant, um, I think. And they're funny you know they're funny to fight it's funny when they when you when you hit them and confuse them and um remembering to lock on so that you get the uh to get the prompt to 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 dodge roll is is something that i occasionally had issues with especially the very last hit of the game i was forgetting that you had to re-lock on to get uh, to get the option to actually do a counter attack um i suppose uh i mean there's a pro mode we should say in the hd version there is a professional mode where you um where you take double damage and you can't collect health uh, pickups. So, you know, that kind of this whole conversation is all negated for people who want uh, a much greater challenge. Play the Wii U version and um, and play pro mode. It won't make the puzzles any harder, but it will make your progress through the game that much more challenging. Yeah. Um, but I suppose uh, on... On one thing, the side quests uh, were obviously there's, you know, I I spent uh, yet despite the fact that I've played this before and I was playing the Wii U version, which is much quicker in many ways. I still spent a good 30 plus hours playing this through again. Um, But there's actually way more to do if you want to do it. There's a whole quest involving taking um, pictographs with your little camera box. Um, you can upgrade that to a color version and you can take selfies now and that's all good fun but there's actually quests relating to that um there's there's these 
pedestals uh, that you can um, decorate with uh, figurines. That's related to that, isn't it? Is that related to the Picto yeah. quest? Yeah, once you get the color pick, yeah. um, pick the box, then you can just travel around the world and get uh, pictures of all the characters and all the enemies and then That's turn right. them into the guy yeah. who lives in this weird little island and uh, he'll make them into little figurines, make them into amiibos. <laughs> Yeah, and you can you can put them in the, in the world, and uh, there's stuff to do with that. There's there's uh, there's bags of spoils you can get from enemies now. So different enemies drop different items, and you can turn that into stuff. There's the choo choos, which now drop this jelly, which you can get made into potions, uh, along with um, uh, Baba Deku seeds. Um, and there, yeah, there's as always there's a load of side quests. There's a, one that I didn't do this time just because I ran out of time. That I did do last time was the one where you take forest water to the uh, to the Korok shrubs that are around the world to build them into trees. But I cannot remember what the payoff for doing that is. Uh, it's a piece of heart. It's a piece of heart. One piece yep. of heart. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's lots of that sort of thing in traditional Zelda style. Um, pieces of heart that you're never going to need um, for spending lots of hours, but for the sense of satisfaction and, and completion. Um, but yeah, criti critics at the time did did comment on this. Uh, GameSpot said that some players would be put off, a little put off by easy puzzles and boss battles. Um, and IGN called the boss battles slightly simplistic, um, noted that the enemies inflict little damage. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely something that uh, some people had more issue than others with. Something that perhaps the game's been... Uh, beaten with more than any other stick is it's uh, quite obviously cut or missing content um, probably as we say mainly due to Nintendo probably to do with pressure from their shareholders hitting uh, the window for uh, a big release a tentpole release for that particular season in Japan so um, famously the GameCube launched without uh, kind of a real um, like a game that you would expect a Nintendo console to launch with. It, it launched with Luigi's Mansion and not with Mario. Wave Race was there and uh, Blue Storm and uh, 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 Monkey Ball, but not necessarily the things that would. Uh, there was there was the Star Wars game as well, but there wasn't there wasn't a Mario or a Zelda basically. So um, they got Sunshine out fairly quickly. That was obviously rushed as well. We as we talked about in that show, and yeah, so Wind Waker came out in December two thousand and two. Um, there were there were concepts for another island, Stovepipe Island, which uh, was all steam and, and wind, and that didn't make it. The Jabun Dungeon, as I mentioned, um, embedded in the code, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, there was a pair of another pair of boots, as well as the heavy boots that get you through wind. There was a pair of water boots, which presumably would get you to the bottom of water. Um, and there were some tran translucent water assets in there as well, whereas in the uh, in the finished game, although Link has a reasonable timer, he can only actually swim about in the water for a period before he starts uh, choking and coughing and you never get to go underwater, which is actually, you know, by this point is pretty unusual because we've even done it in, in like the handheld games. You get to dive underwater, whether you get the Zora scale or the fin or whatever. So it's kind of weird that in a game with all that water, you don't actually get to go in it you only ever get to go on it so it seems like that was a whole area of, of potential puzzling and exploration that was simply uh, cut from the game due to time and then as i mentioned earlier there's the uh, the zora sale and the tingle sale that didn't make it it was uh, sort of requested um when the hd version was mooted for the wii u 
uh, people suggested that the unused dungeons uh, be restored to the game but Aonima pointed out that they weren't they didn't really exist by this point because any unused concepts that were strong enough had already been included in other Zelda titles so for instance this game has seven dungeons but Twilight Princess had nine dungeons uh, Skyward Sword had eight so actually spare quote spare dungeons had probably already been um incorporated into other Zelda games so they couldn't just you know go back and also it would have been a huge task for something that was obviously meant to um, be a fairly quick and easy release for uh, a str- another struggling <laughs> console the Wii U uh, and this the HD version only took um, six months from start to finish to make uh, but the other you know perhaps the other most notorious section is the Triforce fetch quest um the latter part of the game where rather than doing a load of dungeons you're basically told to scour the world map for bits by dredging the sea bottom um and there are a few challenges uh, tied into this including that aforementioned fight that, that i had a lot of fun with um but i understand again you know people were perhaps expecting more dungeons and in fact it, it became this this fairly time consuming time intensive quest especially before the swift sale and aonima actually apologized for this part of the game in 2005 in an interview he said outright it was slow and dull so uh you guys do you remember playing this this infamous sequence back then and um how did you feel about it then and and did the wii u version do enough to revise your feelings on the triforce segments bit towards the end of the game leah i'm pretty sure that that triforce hunt was responsible for one of the earliest strategy guides i can remember buying um right yeah it was not not my favorite bit um and i i thought that it went um much more smoothly in the hd version um i i'm not sure what uh, as i said it has been a little while since i actually played the gamecube version uh so i'm not sure exactly what the updates were um but certainly with the uh, with the swift sale that that by itself helped a ton one of the key things is that in the original version and i admit i admit i'd forgotten this until i did the research for the podcast but many more of the pieces were uh, actually you didn't find them initially you found a chart then you had to take the chart to Tingle on his on his little island, which obviously involved warping. There is fast travel, we should say, in this game. If you defeat the uh, the, yeah, I mean, it depends when you come across the, uh, the 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 guy on the cloud, the frog guy. I think in yeah, in the original version, you came. That's another tweak. I think you came across him much later in the game. In the HD version, you meet him fairly early on. You can shoot him off his cloud as soon as you've got an arrow. And then you get swift travel via a tune in the traditional fashion. Um, but yes, the the charts you had to then take to Tingle, then pay him large amounts of money. In the original game, you only had a very small rupee wallet to start with. In the, in the HD version, you get, I think, five times as much money. So there's all sorts of ways which we'll come on to. But um, yeah, so it it is it has been shortened considerably. But yeah, so it's interesting that you actually remember remember it being a grind back back in the 2003 version yeah i i think it's the one big negative uh with this game and even in the wii u version it's very clear that they're kind of patching over a flaw um if that makes sense it's 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 better but in all honesty it shouldn't have been there 
to begin with. Um, I think it just feels like I'm just marking time until the final temple and the final boss battle. And uh, yeah, it's it's not particularly hard or challenging. Mm. It's just it's just very boring. Um, I know, and I know that's not a particularly insightful piece of criticism, but. Um, I can't think of a better word for it, really. It's just a lack of, yeah, lack of stuff to do. Yeah, so boring. It's certainly the word I've seen used aimed at it many times. So I don't think there's anything wrong with using it if that was your experience of it. Um, Yeah, totally. I, I must admit, I never had a. I did. I I remember doing it the first time, and I just got quite into it. Even though there wasn't much happening between islands, and I had to change the wind all the time, and I don't know. I just, I just like. Yeah, it, it it dragged on a bit, but I certainly I wasn't like you know, it wasn't the sort of thing that makes me curse games designers like say a, a frustrating boss fight does. It was just like okay, we're doing this now. I'll stick some music on or I'll listen to a podcast and I'll do it. And and it's not because it's not difficult. I can sort of I, I find it more easy to forgive. But I understand that some people will just be thinking, "This is my precious time. Why are you making me do this? You know, pointless busy work." Ryan, is that how you felt? Yeah, I didn't really. I guess I don't have that strong of a memory of how it was on the GameCube version, but at least in the Wii U version, I I was spending like that latter portion of the game kind of just traveling to every island I couldn't think of going to anyways, and just kind of like scouring all around and exploring the land and just seeing what I hadn't done yet. And so the Triforce collection kind of like fell into the way that I was playing the game at that point anyways. So it, it didn't really feel like I was going out of my way necessarily. Yeah, and one of the things I wanted to say was, uh, likely I thoroughly enjoyed filling in my, you know, my my entire sea chart, going up to every one of those funny little fish fellows and getting them to draw on my map. Um, and I really enjoyed the treasure hunting where you cross-reference the maps as well. We, you know, we should say you pick up loads and loads of charts throughout this game, um, sometimes in just hidden areas in dungeons and, and for various other uh, little, you know, things that you solve along the way and then you have to open up the chart and cross-reference it with your with your main chart and work out where you need to go on the big chart and the Triforce uh, quest had more of that on the original so I, I actually you know again it's not hugely taxing but it was you know an enjoyable way to pass the time in the same way that I think you know a lot of people like a, a, a low difficulty Sudoku puzzle or something even though they know they're going to solve it or, or like a Picross game you know you know you're going to solve it it's not particularly taxing but the actual process of of um, putting your mind to doing some sort of low level tasks is actually enjoyable in in itself plus you know combined with this amazing audio visual feast that you're being given I can get quite into that sort of thing. I guess it's the same way as, you know, people might um, explore looking looking in, in parts of, of a game world they've already uh, kind of, they're overpowered for in The Witcher or Dark Souls or, or whatever else. It's just a kind of, it's a pleasurable experience. It's escapist and immersive and, and all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, I don't think, yeah, it doesn't feel like so hateable to me so much as as much as a task that needed to be done that said another two dungeons or whatever would have been awesome you know clearly and further to that something that i haven't really done you know i've start, i've opened up the file uh, and started it but not pursued it is you know because there are so many games to play um but the new game plus um version of the charts that you can find actually is um expands on that the puzzly element of that in that it makes the uh 
the charts that you pick up show less of the island that they relate to. So you have to do a bit more kind of, um, you know, puzzle style identification of, of, of the bits of land. So that's quite a neat touch, I thought, for those people who like to, you know, do things over and over. So the HD version, as we said, um, the remaster came about uh, as the development team was experimenting with art styles for the next main Zelda game also in development for the Wii U we now know it's Breath of the Wild and we know that it's you know we've seen seen enough of it to know that it retains a certain amount of sort of cartoon or cell shading style art even if not it's you know not in the same you know fully cute way as uh, Wind Waker um, they also tested out uh, Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword we know what happened to the former they gave it over to Tantalus in Australia and we'll be talking about that in a few podcast time uh, they also experimented with Skyward Sword but they felt that the improvement on Wind Waker was the most striking um, but they did it in six months uh, and uh, although the game was uh, developed in-house they farmed out the high-res textures um, to several external companies uh, hence them looking so so delightful um, and as I say there's this list uh, I can't read it all out we haven't got time um, you wouldn't want me to but if you seek uh, a comprehensive list of Wind Waker HD changes uh, on NeoGAF by Nyoro SF uh, Nyoro posts all the different things that, that are different and there are a lot. I think it's it's several dozen changes, uh, many of which you wouldn't necessarily notice if you weren't intimately familiar with the original game. The one that I think struck me the most, and and I think this again, this is for me, this is a double-edged sword. You spend a lot of time hooking up stuff from the seabed in this game, although less so now. Um, and in the original version, it took quite a while to uh, sink your... Uh, your grabby thing down to the bottom of the ocean uh, and that could get tedious especially if your reward was only going to be 50 a purple rupee for 50 rupees um, that you didn't really need anyway there are all these glowing spots on the ocean that, that you can interact with many of which are just 50 rupees so they've sped that animation up by four times which is great in one way but it rather makes it feel like you're sailing around on a puddle, which I think is a bit of a shame. It rather takes away from the majesty of the ocean because it, you, you put the hook in and then it just goes thud, bottom, bottom of the world, that's it. And it, and it rather clashes with the, the bit later on where you go down to Hyrule under the sea, uh, down through the, through the ocean. So uh, yeah, I have mixed feelings about that. Obviously, overall, it makes the, the, the progress through the game much quicker and smoother, but it rather... Yeah, deters from the majesty of this this deep ocean. Uh, any other sort of um, changes that people were struck by, where it, either from playing it or reading the list and going, "God, I never noticed that." With the with the grappling things up, I don't actually see this on the list, but it's it felt to me almost like it was less less picky about because I I seem to remember when you when you mm. went to uh, when you went to the the light rings uh to to pull things up from the it, it was mm. very very specific about where you had to be in order to get what you were going after and it didn't feel might be yeah, right. it didn't feel quite as specific i mean you still had to be in the right spot but it, it wasn't as uh, uh punitive when you when you weren't yeah 
for me, um, one of the uh, advantages of of the HD version and it being on the Wii is just having all of the map information and all of the item information on the second screen. Um, I remember in the original uh, GameCube version, while I was sailing, I'd pause uh, and go into the map screen a lot just to make sure I'm going in the right direction. Whereas with this version, it's as simple as just glancing down. Yep, okay, I'm going Mm. in the right direction Mm. and then glancing at the screen again. I, I love the way having that second screen um, allows for you know just the speed of accessing information and accessing items and stuff like that. It doesn't feel like you're constantly having to pause the action uh, to find out what where you are or what what items you need. You can just look down and then look back up again. Uh, on the HD version, uh, a new correspondent, Old Man Wall, from the forum says, I may have initially been a tad disappointed by the graphical look, but the prospect of a new Zelda world to explore quickly overpowered any negative feelings. Once I dove into the game, the art style and animation had a lot of humour and charm to it, and by the time Link was catapulted from Tetra's ship, I was sold. The incredible music also helped sell me on this enchanting water world meets Hyrule. The enemies were fun to fight, although a bit on the easy side. Later in the game, the Dark Nuts brought a level of sophistication to the combat that made me feel like I was sparring one-on-one with a dangerous foe. By the end, however, I turned a corner on the game. My heart sank when I realised I would not be plumbing new dungeons to get Triforce pieces, but would instead be grinding for rupees and digging for chests. Not exactly an epic adventure. The tedium of traversing the ocean never really got to me until I reached this part of the game. After already putting hours into exploring this world, doing it all over again, even with help from the warp points, for no reason other than to get some arbitrary keys locking away the ending just felt boring and sad. I left the game feeling very disappointed and put off by it, which was a shame because the final battle was another great combat challenge. I've gone back to it since and my views have softened, so overall I would recommend this very beautiful game, especially the HD version for Wii U, with all of the tweaking Nintendo has done to remove some of that tedium. Yeah, here, here. So yeah, we have uh, we had quite a lot of correspondence on this. I've had to um, pick and choose and edit some of it down. I hope you'll forgive us. Um, and so from our excellent community at canorince.com, we've also got an email, uh, but this is from Craig at the forum. I was so excited for the release of this game. It was the first Zelda game where I was old enough and the internet had developed enough that you could follow all of the tantalising bits of information trickling out about the game, even if some of it was via a poorly encoded real player file the size of a postage stamp. At a certain point, I went on what we would now call a media blackout partly due to the immeasurable amount of folk doing nothing but disparaging the game for being kiddish, and partly because I wanted to have that sense of discovery and exploration. When I got the game, I loved it. The game was vibrant and full of life, and everything felt fluid to control. The sailing was a little dull. Nowadays, I'd be checking on Twitter simultaneously, but it wasn't so big of a deal. I was getting further and further, and then I reached the black and white Hyrule, and oh my god, this was amazing. I got the Master Sword bringing back some wonderful music from the past and it just kept getting better. So by this point I would got the three things to let me get the sword, so now it's going to open up to a bigger adventure where I have to get five more things, just like in Link to the Past and Ocarina of Time, right? Oh, okay, I've got to search for the Triforce pieces. Okay, not every game has to have an alternate world, I'm okay with it being on the same map. But look at how many pieces I have to collect, that's so many dungeons! Oh, they're not really dungeons. To collect those pieces, hmm. 
it's been a while since I played it, but I can just remember most of those Triforce pieces just kind of being there. I just couldn't shake feeling disappointed that the game never seemed to have as much content as I assumed it would. Looking back, it's obvious there was cut content and I can usually appreciate games regardless of length. But there's something about Wind Waker that always brings back those disappointed, lofty expectations of my teenage self. Next up, we have Mauricio MM. I first knew of Wind Waker's existence when I saw some screenshots from the Space World 2001 demo printed in my favourite Latin American Nintendo magazine back then, Club Nintendo. And it certainly caught my eye with its cel-shaded art style, which I really liked. I mean, I wasn't enamoured by it, but I thought it felt right for a Zelda game, assuming they were aiming for the gameplay and narrative formulas of A Link to the Past. And make no mistake, I wanted to see the gritty Zelda that was teased the previous year, but I thought that this was an interesting alternative. However, since I didn't own a GameCube and other games occupied my attention, mostly PC titles and Pokemon, I practically forgot about its existence. Now, more than a decade after its release, I've reached a phase of my gaming life in which I've been trying to check my lengthy backlog for some interesting games to complete in a now-or-never fashion. And considering that my four favourite Zelda games were, from top to bottom, Majora's Mask, Twilight Princess, Ocarina of Time and A Link to the Past, it was just about time to see if this game deserved a spot among them. So I started The Wind Waker last September with some moderate expectations, but I was immediately, immediately pleased with the game's first hours. By the way, what a beautiful atmosphere this game has. The colour palette, the cel-shaded graphics, the art direction, the lovely and expressive character design, the joyful sense of humour in the writing, the soundtrack, even small details like the particle effects of the wind blowing. All those things quickly turned the game into something very special for me. Things got more interesting when I left Outset Island and visited places like Windfall Island and Forest Haven, currently two of my favourite locations in any Zelda game. Got to meet some cool characters like Tetra and Medley, discovered some great dungeons and felt surprisingly entertained by the mini-dungeons. Considering my few expectations for this game, I ended up feeling a lot of excitement at the possibilities of this world. Unfortunately, some of those expectations weren't really met. Sailing at first felt exciting. Things like seeing those mysterious silhouettes on the horizon waiting to be discovered were very motivating, but it got very tedious after a while. Running into lookout platforms, searching for treasures and simply sailing from one place to another became nothing more than a test on my patience, something made a little worse by having the need to constantly use the Wind Waker. And frankly, its story could have been a little better, although many side quests were great and the big revelation of the game was very cool. The narrative sometimes felt a little too childish for my taste. Seeing Ganondorf as the main antagonist once again was a little meh, though I know that no other character could have filled that role. And witnessing Tetra turn into a damsel in distress was quite a disappointment. Well, long story short, The Wind Waker didn't amaze me as much as Majora's Mask or Twilight Princess, but it did capture a piece of my heart and earned a spot in my top five Zelda games. I just hope that someday I manage to play the Wii U version so I can get to enjoy it more without taking forever to move from one island to the other. Yeah, it certainly does that. Definitely do that. Uh, from email, we have Colin Miller. Uh, not the Colin Miller I knew, as I rightly identified. His name's not even spelt the same. 2002 was a dark age. Looking back, I can scarcely imagine a more awkward year. Still freshly healing, along with the rest of the world, I imagine, from the trauma of the previous year, a shaken up and now overweight me started middle school with few, with few real friends. It might not have been so bad, but my only sister and usual gaming co-pilot was busy adapting to her high school world. 
Things like dates and hangouts cut into our usual playtime, and there were many instances where I missed my old buddy. Luckily, the release of Wind Waker was a breath of sweet relief. With the exception of possibly Majora's Mask and Link's Awakening, the Zelda series has always offered something in the way of catharsis when, unlike in the real world, you have the ability to right what is wrong. This promise and the ability to sail the seas would have been enough for me, but knowing that a giant bird snatches up Link's sister at the word go inspired me to make, com- uh, inspired me to make completing the game a personal conquest. Everything from the picturesque tranquility of Outset Island to the smoky mountains of Dragon Roost are teeming with life, right down to watching the swirling aftermath of a bomb explosion playing in this new ocean world feels like dabbling in watercolours. The characters are as sharply drawn as the rich environments they inhabit, which is ironic because they're overtly cartoonish. However, I can scarcely think of a Zelda cast with more personality. Something that certainly helps this along is the animation of Link's facial reactions. For the first and apparently the last time, Link emotes like a walking, though never talking, human being. It's a small detail, but the addition just makes investigating the space around Link all the more enjoyable. There are too many interesting characters to list, but a real standout is the resourceful Medley, who who has a relatable arc as she accepts a fate greater than her own existence. More than one character undergoes a substantial change, and you grow alongside them in one of the most captivating, not to mention shocking, Zelda stories ever. When graded solely on its gameplay, Wind Waker still stands the test of time. Skyward's sword can take its motion control mash and shove it, as I find the sword play in Wind Waker far more fluid and fun. The dungeons are all uniquely themed and require different tactics for completion. The most rewarding of all these is the Earth Temple, and its shadowy rooms contain light puzzles, which rank among the best in the entire series. People complain about the overworld, but I don't see why, even though I'm a sucker for the big blue, because there's always something to entertain the senses. Beyond the masterful score and the tiny islands intricately littered throughout the deep, enemies like giant freaking squids or hungry bloody sharks stalk your cutesy trail and there is a ton of treasure to dredge up along the way. The fetch quest at the end admittedly frustrated me as a child. It's a lot to ask a young person to do in a console experience, but through my replay of Wind Waker HD, I really enjoyed the opportunity to see some more obscure map regions. I think the problem with this is how it disrupts the story. When the Triforce fetching comes along, the momentum of Link's predicament comes to a screeching halt. The climax is note perfect, and the underwater clash contains my favourite endgame boss encounter, so it's a shame that the preceding gathering section disrupts any sense of urgency. In 2014, I was given uh, given Wind Waker HD and a Wii U as a college graduation present from my proud family. Admittedly, though my sister can be hard to keep track of, in our hearts we've never really been apart. Hopping back into the stately King of Red Lions felt as good as it always had. Some things, like the bond between a sister and a brother, are timeless even if the elements that bring them together change. The Wind Waker, in all its forms, is a master sword of achievements, and the truth is that graphical innovations never dull its edges. Thanks for that email, Colin. And to conclude with another forum post from Sean S. Thomas, who says, From the moment I saw Wind Waker, I adored its aesthetic. At the time, I loved anime and was a design student, so the lure to buy a GameCube to experience it was strong. Sadly, it was only when it was re-released on Wii U that I had the income to dive in, but it was worth the wait. Wind Waker is probably my favourite Zelda game. They all have their moments, but from start to finish, I think this is undoubtedly the one I enjoyed the most, despite being the fourth Zelda game I played. The cartoon visuals are a key part of that. It's a joy to behold in HD, and indeed SD, due to the art style, and I adore the streamlined facial expressions and simplified characters. But there are other things that it does better than its brethren. 
The plot feels epic yet homely and is effectively a tale of self-discovery, starting off on a tiny island with your grandma was a lovely touch before going off on a quest to find isolated foreign islands and deep dungeons. The characters you meet all have personalities and relationships which made me care about them and seek out side missions more than I normally do in a Zelda. Combat was the tightest it's ever been in a Zelda title, culminating in that epic final battle. The gamepad made inventory management, taking photos and navigation on the seas a joy, and the story revelation two-thirds in was truly the only moment in a Zelda game where I've been caught off guard and surprised by the narrative. I don't know how much the remaster improved the end game, but it certainly never outlasted its welcome for me. Above all, what I liked most about Wind Waker was that it let me explore and figure out the world myself. At times in other 3D Zeldas, I'm literally being told what to do next, and that removes any genuine sense of adventure. On this quest, I felt like I had a world to discover with just a celestial boat for company, and I loved it. We also have reviews in just three little words from our Twitter, at Kane and Rince. So, uh, Glenn Watts says too many cuts big ben says tedious triforce travel mauricio mm says beautiful despite flaws zen anarchy tingle tuner triumph paul durnham says satisfying final blow jordan blake cook says innocent endearing unique david c says timeless art style and richard davidson still jaw-dropping thanks everybody we had lots more didn't have time for the ball. And so it remains for us to summarise our own conclusions and feelings and experiences of The Wind Waker. And would we recommend that people play it if they haven't already? Or would we even recommend that they go back to it if they have? Uh, let's start with Ryan. I, As I've been going through this series again, like I kind of find myself skirting on one side or the other. Like I'll, I'll really enjoy the story like a Majora's Mask or I will enjoy the gameplay like uh you know link to the past or link between worlds or high rule warriors or something uh but it's kind of not always like both at the same time and i feel like wind waker's about as close as i get to being kind of balanced on both enjoying the story and the gameplay um this is one kind of unlike Majora's Mask, which, you know, due to the kind of aesthetic achievement of that game, I think I prefer as an entity, but this is like the one that I would go back to more than any other game other than maybe like Link Between Worlds. Um, but I, I just, I think that this game sets out in its own direction, is very special in that regard. Like there's no other Zelda game really like that, you know, I guess until Phantom Hourglass. Um but it's it's so smart about the choices that it makes uh, most mostly anyways and there are some like genuine moments of magic like going down to hyrule for the first time and and seeing the old kingdom kind of enveloped in that magic bubble that's frozen everything in time like that is such a magical moment um i love tetra i love you know some of the characters that are around these islands um the the new tune link the the whole tune art style once i warmed up to it it, it was a uh, just really revelatory and and really kind of shook things up which i i really appreciated at this point that they weren't still just riding on the coattails of ocarina of time like they have uh they have continued to innovate in this series and they've continued to go in completely new directions even when that 
was not necessary, I'd say, for their continued financial success. But, um, you know, Wind Waker is also kind of the origin point of a lot of the um, of a lot of the tropes that have remained within the Zelda series and will inform the Zelda series going forward, like the heavy reliance on stealing enemy weapons in uh, Breath of the Wild can be, I mean, goes back a little bit further than this, but like probably most prominently can be traced back to Wind Waker, um, especially in the way that it's implemented. A lot of the uh, enemy designs, even in the more realistic looking Zelda games going forward, uh, did kind of owe a lot to the way that they were imagined in this game. Um, and so this is a this is an important Zelda game. And I would say is kind of another turning point. Like Ocarina of Time, push it into 3D. Wind Waker was the one that said like, yeah, we're going to continue making 3D Zelda games, but they're not all going to be Ocarina of Time. Um, this is going to be its own thing. And Zelda games from here on out in the future can be as unpredictable as you can ever hope that they would be. And, you know, we saw that that has remained true as, you know, Skyward Sword was entirely its own thing with floating islands in the sky and uh, Spirit Tracks was its own thing. And so I'm very excited to see this level of reinvention of a series that didn't need it, but definitely benefited from it. Yeah, uh, I was going to say something very similar, Ryan. That's uh, exactly how I see it. It's interesting that this game had a, you know, a, a difficult start in some ways, and uh, in terms of its initial reception, not from everyone, but from from a vocal uh, corner of the internet. And then, you know, the game was unlike uh, Ocarina, which was held back and held back and held back. Uh, this was kind of rush released, um, and therefore, you know, some of the the criticisms which were leveled at it, some of which still remain, as we've heard, are still there, still valid, even even with all the myriad tweaks made to the the, the Wii U version. Um, but I love the fact that Wind Waker feels like its own entity. It's it's this you know really charming, whimsical game. Uh, as much as I adore the the dark atmosphere of of Majora's Mask and and the epic epic nature of uh, Ocarina of Time and and Link to the Past, you know, for me, I I, you know, I just still think it's like a, a master class of games design. Wind Waker is this really fun, bright, breezy. You know, it's not entirely without. Um, you know, moments of of a little darkness, but the overall tone is 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 much lighter, um, and its challenge level is much lighter. But that wasn't a problem for me, really. It it was I was too busy having fun, you know, to worry that I wasn't dying all the time or, or concerned about dying. Um, and similarly, the puzzles, while not being mentally very taxing. Um, I was getting pleasure out of solving them. Um, yeah, so I've played this uh, to completion twice. I've played it a large chunk of the way through on another occasion, which is um, more than I've done with a lot of games in the series. Um, and as soon as I'm back out on those waves, I have to fill in every chart. You know, um, you know, I might not complete every single side quest, but I have to have at least seen the world of Wind Waker all over again, been to every island and... Um, yeah, and chatted with some of those characters, and and enjoyed the little um, the little musical segments as well. With the uh, when you when you play the instruments with the sages and stuff. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm just bimbling now. But uh, what am I trying to say? I really like 
The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker. It's a really lovely game, well worth it. Uh, I'm really glad it exists as an entry in the series. I wouldn't necessarily want every Zelda game to be like this, and they're not, and that's the, the magic of it. Um, so yes, do play the HD version. Um, it's, you know, one of the, I think, one of the most beautiful games of, of, of recent times, and uh, and pleasure, pure pleasure. Josh? I really don't think um, I don't think it's possible to emphasize enough just how aesthetically impressive this game is. Um, I think the fact that um, the HD version, even you know, even taking into account that they they've made adjustments to it and they've um, you know uh, the textures have been reapplied in certain areas and etc cetera, etc. Cetera, I think it's still incredibly impressive that a game that came out in two thousand and two two thousand three um, looks so gorgeous even compared to the latest and greatest in terms of tech it it's just it's it's a, a mind-blowing achievement that this game looks as good as it does um just in terms of the how i feel about the game in general i think um all of my favorite zeldas kind of nail something um in particular i think majora's mask just does a fantastic job of getting across um theming and atmosphere i think as as leon said link to the past is just an impressive piece of game design um i really love the you know we will get onto this later on in in this this series but i really love the way skyward sword handles its temple designs and um, and I would say that of Twilight Princess as well. But I think the thing that I love most about Wind Waker is that it feels like a balance of all of those things. And, and Ryan kind of touched on this uh, in his uh, his final thoughts. But Wind Waker just feels like the most balanced and complete of all the Zelda games I've played. I think I, I prefer certain things in other um, Zelda games. Like just generally, I think the world design in, in Link to Past is probably stronger. But I just, even the most negative part, you know, the part of the game that I feel most negative about, the worst thing I can say about it was that it was dull, which I, you know, there are certain sections in other Zelda games that we'll get onto later where I can't just say that, that where I do have much more serious uh, critical thoughts about. Whereas with this, yeah, just the worst part of it is just dull. And everything, everything else just feels so well constructed and well thought out. Yeah, I, I absolutely recommend people pick up the HD version of Wind Waker on on the Wii U because I think it's just a, a joy from start to finish. Thanks, Josh. And let's conclude as is traditional with our guest, Leah. So I, um, I, I meant to mention this earlier, uh, but I, I guess I just didn't get, quite get around to it. So uh, my my mother is a uh, is a band director and has been my entire life um so music has always been a pretty big part of mine and my sister's lives uh you know but as you would expect uh and and yeah. i can't really think of a whole lot of other games that incorporate a mechanic like actually conducting um mm. 
particularly when they're not explicitly music games to begin with. So I don't know whether that yeah. was, I, I mean, I'm sure that that had to have been something that attracted me to the game in the first place, but whether it was that that initially made me pick it up or whether it was just, like I said before, that I was looking for something that was as close to an RPG as I could get. Um, I, 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 I love this game. I, I, I love how it looks. I love how it sounds. I, I love how it plays. And it's only really gotten better with the HD version. So um, I, I really, whether you have not played it before at all, or whether maybe you have played it before and you know liked it, or thought that there were a few things that maybe could stand to be improved, um, I really cannot recommend, uh, like everyone else has pretty much said already, uh, picking up the HD version. Uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. If you have access to a Wii U, uh, it is a wonderful time investment, and and I think that uh, I think that it's definitely worth it for anybody who uh, considers themselves to be a Zelda fan at all. I. Um, I, this is this is my favorite Zelda. It it was before. Uh, the past couple of weeks have confirmed for me that it still is. Uh, it's mm. it's one of my favorite games. Full stop. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Lovely. Uh, yeah, and as ever, there's so many things, you know, specific elements of this game that we didn't have time to mention. Um, ghost ships and submarines and um, seagulls controlling goals and yeah there's there's a lot more than, than we can possibly fit in but uh, hopefully we've given you all a good sense of uh, the things that we liked and didn't like and from our amazing community as well of course uh, so that's been The Wind Waker uh, it just remains for me Leon to thank Josh Ryan and Leah and to tell you that next time in issue 232 it's Time Magazine's Game of 2014 in 1872 with a steampunk twist with 80 days. <laughs>